Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. CJ, always a pleasure to see you. I understand that this podcast is uh, primarily devoted to hockey, and uh, we are both hockey journalists. Uh, Obviously, you being more established than I am. But I had to rep, uh, for those uh, not watching on YouTube, uh, Soccer Canada today, uh, they got the job done against Panama. Alfonso Davies scoring one of the most beautiful goals I've ever seen. So that's why I'm rocking the Soccer Canada black dry fit jersey. I I had to shout them out. I had to point them out just to start off the podcast. Well, the nicest part of my morning, Julian, was watching actually a shot from Panama. Uh, they were they were doing their commentary in real time on that goal. It was like it was like a Steve Dangle video times ten in terms of their reaction. <laughs> well, Hanzo Davis is just, you know taking that ball away from the defender and going in and scoring. Um, you know, it's awesome. I hope that gets the World Cup, obviously, uh, and and it's been cool to see them go through this qualifying campaign and. You know, frankly, be the better team in pretty much every game they played, which is just, uh, you know, it's it's long overdue, and let's let's hope they keep it rolling. I hope they keep it rolling as well uh, as we will on the Chris Johnston show. A lot to get into uh, to start off the National Hockey League season, which I don't know if you've heard. Uh, we are well underway. The Canadians and the Leafs played against each other in their first games of the year. Uh, the Seattle Kraken have taken to the ice as well. Uh, we're waiting on the Ottawa Senators to get into action. I believe they play tonight, Thursday. Uh, so I think I'm correct on that. Calgary, I don't think they play until later this week as well. Not every single Canadian team has played yet, but uh, we'll, we'll get our thoughts in on at least some of the ones that have. Um, I, I imagine you watch Leafs Canadians. You were at Scotiabank Arena. I saw the Instagram post. Shout out huh. to you for, for putting those posts. So that way I know where you are at uh, different times of the day. Um, what were your impressions of that game? and the Leafs and the Canadians and just being there for a regular season game in Toronto. I have a lot of thoughts on this and I'll get to the crowd in a second, but I just want your initial takeaways from that game. Honestly, the crowd is sort of my takeaway. It it was such a weird feeling to be in a full building again. And, you know, look, people quite rightly point out that, that at the best of times, Toronto is not the place you go for the loudest NHL game you know, that's, that's very true. I've been to games in every single city except for Seattle now where the NHL games are played. And that's a fair point. But I, I honestly feel like we're still kind of in this fog, you know? Like, I'm guessing most people in that crowd last night haven't been in, in other similar crowds. I mean, maybe they've been to a concert in Toronto or Blue Jays games or what have you where, where people did start to get in the building late season. But it just felt kind of like that awkwardness almost like you're just not used to this it's familiar but not and so i do expect that there'll be more atmosphere kind of going forward once people do get used to it and you know obviously some people have season tickets they go multiple games maybe they'll just start to feel more normal but i was i was kind of expecting more from the building than we got i'd say it wasn't wasn't like quiet, quiet. It certainly got loud in the third period and that the Canadians had a long five on three penalty and crowd was getting on the, the referees for the, the calls there and stuff like that. Um, but it, it was, it was sort of a surreal, strange experience, I guess, for me to be back in a building with 18,000 plus. I was curious about the crowd and I'm glad we're jumping into this first because uh, I watched from home and I was trying to watch on Sportsnet now and the introductions, the player introductions I, I would love to get your sense of it because you were there. 
I thought the crowd was a little bit like hushed. And uh, I was talking with uh, Connor McKenna on TSN 690 uh, this morning, actually. And he made a really good point. Like John Tavares, the team captain for the Toronto Maple Leafs, who suffers a, a terrible injury in the playoffs uh, at the expense of Corey Perry. Well, not at the expense, but Corey Perry. Uh, we all know what happened there in that game one of that first round series. You know, yeah. did everything he can to try to fight back to get back into the lineup. His first game back from that and like, the applause for Jonathan Tavares for John Tavares was, I thought that was just okay. I've, if you, if not to be a homer or anything, but if, if we're at the Bell Center, like we're talking at, we're getting ovations, we're getting a lot of loud cheers. I'm curious what they're going to do for Jonathan Drew when it comes time for that later this weekend. But I just thought something was just off with the way that crowd was, and I could tell from it from the TV, but I just was not sure if it was the case from from if it was the case if you were in the building. I just thought they kind of took a step back. I don't know if it's because of the fact they're all wearing masks or whatever, but I thought that was just really weird to me. That that might have been the TV effect, to be honest, because Tavares, sure. to me, got a lot of salvation, and it was actually, it was like, it was much louder than what the, the other individual players got, and, and he sort of held a stick up for semi-extended period of time. That actually did feel like a moment a little bit there. I mean, look, it's not Taku Koivu returning from cancer, you know, pretty legendary moment way back in the day in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I actually did think he got an isolation. But but in general, like, I'm with you. I'm right with you. Like, I don't think you misheard. I don't think that TV robbed you of some environment or some feeling that that wasn't there. Like, I, I did expect a little bit more pop just because we've all waited so long for this. But... I'm actually going to cut them a break. I really am. I, I believe, and there's no way to prove this. This is just my own psychology talking, but I think we've all been kind of in a fog. Like I've even found Julian, you know, I've gone a couple of times and have to see friends or, or what have you at a, a bar or restaurant, but after not doing that for so long, like it just feels kind of weird to be back out again. And I, you know, I don't think everyone's dropped their guard after basically 18 months of rolling lockdowns and not being in the building and all that stuff. And I do think, things will slowly come more to life, uh, you know, around these games. I think context might matter a bit too. Uh, you know, it's the start of a regular season, 82 games, you know, normally there is like a lot of like rampant excitement, but it, it pales in comparison to like the start of a postseason, for example, or a Stanley Cup final game. I, I, I think we can also, I can also add that as well. Like, I mean, there's a lot of games to be played in this regular season. So there's going to be a lot of times where fans can get excited. Um, I want and there's less oh, hype around this Leafs team too, right? Like that's, that's part Is of it. Is there? In Toronto for sure. I mean, it, this, that was the most muted training camp that I can recall in my career. Uh, and I think it's just because of everyone kind of knows what's at stake. Everyone knows what the team is like, you know, it's not like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner have to prove how great they are. You know, they've been top 10 scorers already multiple times in their career. They're not even 25. Like, I, I think that the, the question, of course, is we'll get it done in the playoffs and all that stuff, but that won't be answered until, you know, May, basically. And so I do think that at least on the ground here in the city, it's just, it was a little bit less of a normal sort of hype machine building the, the season up because, I think a lot of people recognize, look, they do have to go through the, the, the season. Obviously, they have to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't see anyone predicting that they, that they won't. I, you know, it'd, be, it'd be a massive surprise to me if this team wasn't good enough to get in. But, you know, we're not really going to learn what we need to learn until, until May. And it's, you know, only the start of October, mid-October here now. Uh, last Leafs question before I, I turn a bit of attention to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, there was one quote that actually, funny enough, I kept hearing on Montreal radio yesterday. 
uh, I believe it was from Jake Muzzin, where he was just basically describing how pissed off some guys were, obviously as they should, considering how the end of the season went for them. Uh, I was just curious if you had heard that quote or your impressions of, of the thoughts and feelings of the Leafs going into this year and the fact that they're they're likely on a mission uh, to basically erase any embarrassment that they've endured from last season. Yeah, I did hear the quote. Jake spoke to reporters yesterday morning before the game and and gave that. You know, what I love about Jake Muzz, he's one of these guys, like he's a great bellwether for the team. Like he's always so direct, so honest. So authentic. I mean, like, you you know how he feels on any given topic on any given day. And, you know, I thought that was an interesting sentiment. You know, a lot of the Leafs last summer after the loss to Montreal, I know they went to John Tavares' cottage, kind of in cottage country north of the city. And, you know, it sounds like they had some pretty honest conversations there, maybe about what got in their way, if it is a mental demon type of thing, you know, why they, they didn't have success. Because, you know, I think last year in particular hurt the Leafs. I mean, they're sort of judged on like five years now of not winning a playoff series, but you know, to be truthful last year, they, they were the best team in the North division, in the regular season, basically from start to finish. They led division from wire to wire. They're up three, one with Montreal. They're in overtime in game five, overtime in game six, you know, those games didn't go perfectly, but the, the opportunity was certainly there for them to move on and, and finally, um, you know, win a playoff series. And so I think that that one did hit them a little bit more emotionally than some of the previous losses. And, and so, yeah, you know, they, I, I, do think it's justified or reasonable for them to be pissed off and they have something to prove. It's just, as I say, the problem is there is this long gauntlet of a season where I think even if they were to win the president trophy, for example, I, I still don't, still don't know that they would have a ton of believers in what they're doing until they actually get it done when, when it counts most. Yep. Uh, look, I, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to be a playoff team, but for myself and pretty much for everybody, and that includes the Leafs, it will not matter if they flame out in the first round against whichever team they end up playing, you know, they, they have to win a playoff round this year. I don't know if they necessarily need to go all the way to the final in order for it to be a, I mean, obviously if they go to the Stanley Cup final, it's a successful season, but I don't know if it has to be, you know, that much all or nothing. They have to at least show progress by winning a round. Cause I, I don't one think round. they're on the point of, that's the bar. That's one, one round. I, they got to do it. They got to finally it. knock that door down and at least, and there's no reason they shouldn't be able to do it. Honestly, like, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I watched that last Dan documentary during the pandemic and, and you know, they kind of highlighted how the Bulls were a team on the rise for a number of years before they broke through. I was actually a kid then, like I didn't remember all that. Like, I sort of feel like if the Leafs do go on a run, no one's going to be that surprised in a way. You're going to go like, yeah, of course, this team, they've got a lot of the best offensive players in the league. They've been they've been around it. You know, they've had 100 points multiple seasons. Like, it feels inevitable, but until they do it, they haven't done it. And so... You know, if they don't do it, man, that's when it gets interesting. But maybe we, we'll save that for future conversations because we got a long season to go over here. But if they don't get done this year, how patient can they stay and all that stuff? Like, I think those are valuable and real questions. It's just it's hard to really give a, a firm answer on that right now. I want to talk about Jonathan Drouin, who scored the first goal of the game for the Montreal Canadiens in that loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we've all known about the anxiety issues he's, he's spoken about publicly uh, the time off uh, he took from the Canadians partway through last year, through the through to the playoffs, for him to score that goal, uh, I would imagine that means the world to him. And and he's he's told I know, I'm trying to remember one of the quotes he had said to, to the media on uh, Wednesday, saying that he was essentially feeling a hundred times better uh, than what he had been feeling previously. Uh, I was just curious for your thoughts on on seeing Jonathan Drouin after what he's gone through uh, hit hit the score sheet. 
It was my favorite moment of the night, honestly. It was so cool. You could feel his emotion even way up in the press box where I was sitting. Uh, obviously, you could see it through your screens if you're watching on television or on your your tablet or what have you. Um, and yeah, I just love the message that if you take time, if you take care of your mental health, that there's good days on the other side of it. And look at it, it's one goal. Jonathan Duran has scored hundreds of goals in his life, and he scored a lot of goals as an NHL player. But you know, to see him score the first goal of the year for the Canadians, the first goal in that game, I just it makes you. There's a redeeming quality to that. There's, there's a, a nice feeling that that goes with that. And, you know, obviously where I'm sitting, I'm not cheering for a team. I'm you know, not really that worried about the outcome of the game so much. But, um, you know, I thought that was a really nice moment for Jonathan. And, you know, I, I can't imagine anyone around the league not wanting to see that guy have a great year after what he's been through. You know, just understanding how difficult his decision must have been. You know, he, he got to such a place he had no choice but to step away from his boyhood team in the middle of a season that went on to go to the Stanley Cup final. Um, because he had to look after himself. And so, you know, I, I do love the message that, you know, he's been open about talking about his struggles and that, you know, if he does have a great season, which I think is totally plausible, would make sense to me. I actually think the Canadians are probably going to have a better year than a lot of other people seem to, uh, even with Carey Price's status unknown and Shea Weber unlikely to play from this year. I, I think they low-key had a good offseason, honestly. Um, and, you know, I could see him being a big part of that success and that would be uh, – you know, that, 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 that goes a little deeper than hockey, I guess. It's, it's not just goals and assists and points and all the stuff that we fuss over. I think that there's a sort of larger human message to be taken out of, uh, you know, whatever he's able to do on the other side of, you know, dealing with some difficult stuff. Yeah, like seeing Jonathan Drouin score that goal, again, in a similar situation as you, where I'm not watching these games through for the Canadians or for any team. I'm here just to, I mean, I follow the Canadians and, and obviously I have my, my gigs with the Canadians or whatever just to you know mm-hmm. provide whatever analysis I'm needed to provide. But like just taking any of that out of it, like it was cool to see Jonathan Drouin score that goal. It was cool to see uh, J- Josh Anderson, who spent time with him in the offseason, uh, give him that pass to, to for him to get that goal and to see Jonathan Drouin generally be happy and pointing at Anderson for the pass. That's one of the best things you could you could get for any Montreal Canadiens fan, and and just for this feel good story. I, I genuinely feel that Jonathan Drouin, when it's all said and done, he might have the feel good story of the year. And I think what he did was incredibly brave to want to just say, hey, you know what? I'm not feeling this right now. I need time away. And he took time for himself, and he's put himself back in a position where he's able to play hockey again. And if he's a believe, he's to be believed. He he feels a hundred times better than what he's ever felt, at least what he's felt previously. And it's just awesome to see, you know. And, and this year for the Canadians is going to be very weird, considering the fact that they won't have Carey Price, who is away for his own issues and needs to take time for himself. But the fact that Drouin was willing to do that, and, and Price to an extension too. I think that could be something that has a lot of reverberations going forward for, for NHL players and how they deal with their mental health. This is something that I think a lot of players who might've been stewing or sitting in silence, they can look at those two players and they're seeing how they're going about their mental health and it might influence them going forward. Right. And and obviously we wish the guys didn't have to go through that stuff. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not a, you know, we're not commanding them for having struggles, but I think for how they're approaching their, their difficulties, the way that they are handling it, as, as public facing people in, in the world, you know, 
I, I can't put myself in her shoes, honestly. Um, I can't imagine how difficult that must be um, because it's, it's just hard enough when you're, when whatever you're facing feels bigger than you. And, and then when, when a lot of people have to know about it and are commenting on it, people like you and I are talking about it, you know, that, that, that must be really hard to, to be in that headspace. And so, you know, I, I'm with you. I think there's a lot of value in, in what's happened and it's kind of how I view this whole pandemic in general. And like, I hope that we all come through it a little bit better. Cause I, I know it's been hard for a lot of people in a lot of different ways, but you know, there can be positives from this and, and just having guys, you know, discuss, you know, I, I presume Carrie price at some point, you know, when he, when he's feeling better, when he's back around the team, we'll discuss some of what he's been through. You know, certainly yeah. Duran has done that with the reporters and, and then you see him live in that moment last night, like what a cool moment sports are moment to me. Right. I mean, Sports are two things, I guess. I mean, you, you, on the other hand, you got Alex Ovechkin and you're just like looking at the sheer number of his goals, right? Fifth all time now after two goals uh, in his season open for the Capitals. And, and you sort of marvel at numbers and longevity and all this stuff. You think, hey, when I was a kid, he was in the NHL and I'm, I've got all this gray in my beard and he's in the NHL. Still. Like, how cool is that? <laughs> but then like it's the moments along the way that kind of bring you out of your seat or make you feel something. And and that's that was what Drew Ann's goal was to me. It just felt like a moment. And as I say, even though the Canadians lost the game, that was kind of my, it was the coolest part of the night for me. Just, just to see him do that and see his, his excitement on the ice. Sports are fun and it's fun to see stuff like that. It's also fun to see stuff like what Alexander Ovechkin did, which uh, I'm, I'm just going to kind of peel back behind the curtain here. I am ashamed of myself for not writing that down in my rundown. We have to talk about the fact Alexander Ovechkin uh, is uh, now fifth all time in, in goals. Uh, But just before I, I, I properly segue to that, uh, it was really cool to see Jonathan Drouin uh, score that goal for the Montreal Canadiens, even if it did come in a losing effort, but the losing effort doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. It's just really good to see him back and see him looking okay. So yeah, yeah this just to kind of close the book on that. I want to mention Alexander Ovechkin because of the fact that we did mention him in our uh, NHL season predictions episode, but uh, he's already uh, getting on to uh, the goal scoring chase uh, with the two goals he scored uh, for the Washington Capitals uh, the other night. Uh, really awesome to see Alexander Ovechkin, who uh, I think picked up an injury at some point in uh, training camp. Well, actually during a preseason game. He was questionable he for that game. He looks fine to me. The amazing thing about this guy is just how long he hasn't, like he's been able to play without a precipitous fall off in his goal rates. Like, I, I used to work with David Amber at Sportsnet and literally like three, four years ago, David Amber was talking, like we'd be backstage on Saturday night at hockey night and Ovechka would score and he'd be talking about this Gretzky record and he'd be doing the math. And I was like, David, you're nuts. Because as much as I admire Ovechkin and think it's great what he's doing, like he's not going to keep scoring 40 to 50 a year in his mid thirties, but he is like, it's not 732 goals. And he's at Julian, like, think about that. Yeah. That's that's the equivalent of more than 1450 goal seasons. Like it's actually bananas that he's able to keep going. And, you know, I, I mean, look, we don't know, we don't have a crystal ball. He's got to be healthy to, you know, this is a longevity record and he's been remarkably healthy over his career. He's barely, he's missed like less than 50 games his whole NHL career. Um, but if he's healthy, I just, I don't see him not getting this. I mean, he signed a five-year extension in the off season. So that's enough for runway if you just start doing the the the, the math to, to pass Gretzky. And I, I think he's going to do it. And I think it's going to be really cool because any record that Wayne Gretzky put his name on, 
you know, it feels like it's almost untouchable because the eighties just happened to be such a crazy decade for the the scoring rates around the league. Obviously Wayne was by far the top of that, but like, you know, Wayne has like a 92 goal season, you know, he's 215 point season, like stuff like that. As much as Connor McDavid is on another planet right now, like a crazy season for Connor is like 150 points probably at this point. Um, and so the fact that we might be seeing one of the, greatest records in the sport fall over these next couple of years with Ovechkin. I think, I think we'll be celebrated. You know, I, I don't know how much you remember 2005, but when him and Crosby came in the league, so much was made of like this rivalry kind of thing. Like, yeah, it always felt a little bit, it always felt a little bit played up. Like it didn't feel that real to me. If you know what I'm saying? And obviously Pittsburgh and, and Washington played multiple playoff series. And I know that those two teams have had to kind of go through each other. Um, and, and so that like, you know, there is a rivalry there, but I, I think we're at the point now where we can just celebrate these two guys. Like Crosby and Ovechkin are basically both going to retire on honor close to like the Mount Rushmore of the sport. And, you know, I think we should all take a moment to go like, look, we're down to the last couple of years of these guys. Like, I don't know how long they're going to play, but it certainly doesn't feel like forever anymore. You know, we know we're getting the kind of last call here on them and, and, you know, let's, let's celebrate his style. Let's watch Alex do his thing. And, you know, I, I think he's going to do it. I, I'd be surprised now, honestly, if he didn't get a goal record rather than if he did, like that's, that's how much it's turned in four years. And, you know, shout out to my man, David Amber, cause he was in on the ground floor of this one. Shout out to the homie, David Amber. I haven't met him yet, but uh, we've had conversations. He's, the best. Uh, he's a Syracuse alum as well. Uh, so uh, we've had conversations uh, about Syracuse. Uh, him and I. Uh, also, to quote uh, another one of our good friends, uh, James Myrtle, I say he doesn't. I say Alexander Ovechkin, he's going to do this. Like, and 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 I've, I think I've said this on Sportsnet as well. If I'm Ted Leonsis, the owner of the Washington Capitals, every night I go to the locker room, I look at every player, I'm like, you do everything that you can to ensure that that man, Alexander Ovechkin, breaks that goal record. And I get it. You know what? He's not going to have a 92 goal season like what Wayne Gretzky had. But the goaltending in those eras, let's be real here. The goaltending and everything else in those eras, very different than what Alexander Ovechkin had to play through now. That's not to diminish what Wayne Gretzky's had, which, which 92 goals in any league is like amazing. But like Alexander Ovechkin has had to deal with, you know, an increased level of competition, uh, more teams, obviously. Uh, he's some of the coaches he's had to deal with over his last few years in terms of how they tried to change some of his playing styles has also contributed to this too. Could you imagine how many more goals he would have if he didn't have Adam Oates as his head coach? If he didn't have <laughs> Dale Hunter as his head coach? Like, well, like, come on. That, but come on. thing, if you're going to play 15, 16, 17 years in a league, you're going to go through some shit. Like, it's just, that's just a fact, yes. right? I mean, like, you're going to have off seasons, you're going to have injuries, you're going to have coaching issues or teammate issues. Like, it, it, no one has uh, just a, a seamless path through life. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta push through, you know, some difficult moments. And so, you know, he's done that. I mean, he's also contended with, you know, a couple lockouts uh, that cost the the league some games, you know, he would have entered the year, I believe in 04, uh, the 0405 lockout canceled the entire season would have been his rookie year, most likely. Um, so he would have another full season anyway, plus they lost half a season in 12, 13. Um, you know, and then we had a pandemic, uh, which cost some games and a 56 game season last year. Like, yeah, like he, he could have played another 200 games by this point, but you know, he's doing just well, even without that fact. And, you know, it, it's going to be, I think it like, I do think this is going to take, it's going to be like a ball rolling downhill. And with the new us TV partners, like this is something they're going to get behind. It's really easy to understand. Even if you don't understand the sports nuances, 
you know, it's like a home run chase. You just like seeing a guy hit a, the ball out of the park. Like you like seeing someone fill the net and, and Ovechkin continues to do that. And it's quite a spectacle. Uh, we'll get to those U.S. TV partners in a second here. I just wanted to call back to 2005 and those early days of, of Crosby versus Ovechkin. As a kid who didn't know any better, you know, I see those two players being pitted against each other. I'm like, wow, like this is awesome. But I also kind of feel like I had to pick between the two. Like if, you, if you're for anyone who watches the show and remembers the Twilight movies, there's Team Edward and Team Jacob, I think that those are two names of two characters. I think that the vampire and the werewolf, like there was team of, for me, there was team of Etchkin or team Crosby. And like, as a Canadian, obviously like you're like Sidney Crosby is like an amazing player. He's able to do all these amazing things. Like he, like Sidney Crosby has as many goals, like from the seat of his pants or finding a way to fall to the seat of his pants as some NHL players have had like collectively in their careers. Whereas Alexander Ovechkin with especially early on in his career, the excitement, the flair, the fun, that drew me more to him. Not that Sidney Crosby, not that I didn't like Sidney Crosby, but Alexander Ovechkin, the goal scoring, the jumping into the glass, the hot stick, the, the, the goal of the century, as far as I'm concerned, against the Arizona Coyotes, who was head coaching head coach at the time, Wayne freaking Gretzky. He's looking up at the Jumbotron like, God damn, he did that. Alexander Ovechkin, you know, to me. Do you know what is so amazing. cool? Austin yeah, Matthews was in the building that day as a little kid. Really? And he said that, that was like a defining moment in his life. He That's was in amazing. the building uh, in Arizona when that happened. Like you, you, you think of like the little bit of magic that's in the universe. Like that to me is like a little sprinkle of magic because, you know, the fact that Austin Matthews came from where he came from and is the, the player that he is, is like, he, he's like the equivalent of an alien, right? Like, like no one plays hockey by accident. Like that's the, the biggest challenge of our sport is, you know, someone has to put blades on your feet and, and you know, find ice and, and allow you to learn how to navigate that. And then obviously, you know, build a skill set on that. You know, it's, it's not as simple as, you know, playing down at the park on, on you know, basketball hoop or with soccer ball, uh, you know, where I think that that can just happen more naturally for kids. And, you know, Austin Matthews was in the building. Uh, Emily Kaplan, shout out to her. She wrote a great piece on Austin on ESPN. And, and he talked about that in her story, but, you know, I, I'd heard that story before as well, just being around Austin a little bit here in Toronto. And, and um, you know, that's, that's the magic of what this whole thing is, man. Like that, that is, that's what we're hoping for. Like people used to hate on Gary Batman for taking teams to untraditional places. Well, guess what? When you have teams at untraditional places, you open up the possibility that athletes that would have done something else come to your sport. You know, like Austin would probably be, a baseball player, honestly, if, if, um, you know, if he didn't fall in love with the coyotes and it was only because the coyotes were playing in Arizona and he was, you know, growing up in Scottsdale. So, um, you know, I, I love that the NHL wants to take games to Mexico. You know, I think as much as we can expose the sport to the world, we should, because you, you want the best athletes coming into your sport and doing great things. And I think that's what Crosby and Ovechkin did. They, they, they reached an audience beyond just the traditional folks that were going to watch games anyway. And, you know, they've helped spawn this next generation. And, you know, hopefully now Matthews and McDavid and McKinnon and all the, the great players in the league now can do that for future generations. Um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, you mentioned the Mexico thing. Uh, is that out there anywhere? I don't remember coming across that, or maybe I just missed that. Or is the intro close to that at all? Like that seems really interesting. Yeah, it sounds like they're making plans to like take a preseason game there at some point. You know, I think that they're just recognizing it's a market they should get into. I mean, look, they they have teams in places with with a lot where a lot of Mexicans live. I'm sure the Coyotes wouldn't mind going there. You know, the the teams in Texas. Uh, Dallas Stars wouldn't probably mind playing there at some point. California, so, 
Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think that, um, you, you know, they're, they're going to start small, but you know, the NFL's had games there, you know, other, other leagues are, are getting into what's a big country. And I just think it's a natural extension of the league. And so it's not like they're going to put a franchise there anytime soon or anything like that. But I do think you're, you'll see at least some neutral site games there and trying to get into that market a little bit. And, you know, you probably want to use a guy like Austin Matthews. Like his mom is from Mexico. Um, you know, he yes. speaks some Spanish and he certainly grew up appreciating, you know, what that country is all about and, and the way of life there. And so, you know, why wouldn't you, if one of your most marketable stars has a natural connection, it's not, you know, it's not a forced thing. Like, why wouldn't you try to, to open up that, that market? And, and again, you just need to find one player from there and, and, and it's worth it, I, I would argue. And so, um, you know, let's uh, let's celebrate uh, the the places we can take this game. Not try to keep it so provincial or so Canadian or so whatever. I think you know, I think that we should want it to be played more places around the world and and you know get more special athletes coming to our sport. Well said, CJ. Um, I want to get to those US TV partners, ESPN and TNT, as they've uh, kicked off their broadcasts of the NHL season. Uh, Sportsnet at least uh, was able to uh, air games, I think, on Tuesday night from the ESPN broadcast for the Pittsburgh-Tampa Bay game and uh, Seattle and Vegas. And, and I guess through this conversation, we could also get into our thoughts on the Seattle Kraken as well. Um, and, and TNT, uh, they have their own broadcast as well. They got Charles Barkley in on their first night and Wayne Gretzky's there too. I don't know if you saw the video of, of, of Charles Barkley trying to put I saw on the video. ads, <laughs> like Wayne Gretzky shooting on him. What were your impressions of both of those, uh, both of those outlets, uh, you know, doing their thing with the national hockey league? Well, I love that they're experimenting, you know, like I noticed in the Tampa game on opening night on Tuesday that like they're using some different cameras we haven't really seen before to show the crowd shots. You know, they had Emily Kaplan between the benches, you know, and typically where we'd see a former player, the color commentator, um, you know, in that spot it, historically. And they have a you know sideline reporter, essentially, and Emily, who does an awesome job and is a good friend of mine. Uh, you know, I was pumped to see that. I mean, just because I'm glad they're recognizing the talent they have. I'm glad that they're promoting the talent they have. And, you know, I don't mind seeing Charles Barkley and Wayne Gretzky have some fun on the intermission. You know, I didn't see that intermission because I was at the Leafs-Habs game, but, I, you know, I saw some of the yeah. stuff on social media. Like, I, I do think sometimes we have to break the mold and, and embrace the fun of the sport. Uh, I want to shout out John Butchergrass, who uh, did the call of the Seattle Vegas game. I have to admit, like, I was trying to listen in. I was like, is that Brendan Burke? No. Is that John Forslund? No. John Butchergrass. Like the, like the ESPN, like anchor John Butchergrass. He was amazing. I thought he was incredible calling that game. And, and we can get into the Seattle stuff as well. But like, I thought his excitement, his passion, match the level that was needed for that game, considering that, you know, Vegas did have that lead, but Seattle found a way to come all the way back. And he was just incredible. So I think he deserves a shout out uh, for the way that he was able to call that game. You know, I, I got to say, like, if you're out there, listen to this, but if you're thinking of an NHL road trip, like Vegas has got to be near the top of your list. And it's not because, mm -hmm. you know, look, at, there's, there's clubs and gambling and all the stuff that Vegas is known for. But just as a building experience, like just the straight up game there is unreal. And, you know, that, that probably helped John in that moment because obviously ESPN's excited for getting the rights back. They got these two newer-ish teams, the first game crack in history, and then that building just pops. It's, it's awesome. Man, I got to get myself out there. Actually, you know what? Fun fact. Uh, I have never... Uh, for as long as I've been in hockey media, I guess I've never been to a other arena outside of the Bell Center as a media member. Actually, I think at all. I think Bell Center is the only NHL arena I've been to. Wow. I know. 
Yeah, it's the only NHL arena I've been to to watch a game. Like I, I went to Madison Square Garden, but it was to watch the Mavericks and the Knicks. Haven't been to Canadian Tire Center, not Scotiabank Arena. Wow. I know. Yeah, I hope that's, that's going to change, bud. Your career is on the I rise. That's so. going to change. But it was a big moment so. for me when I got to every building, like when I was able to say I've been to every building. Uh, the last one I went to, well, I mean, now we have some new buildings, right? I haven't been to Seattle yet, and the Islanders are opening a new building in November. Uh, so there's still a couple more, I guess. There'll, there'll forever be more to check off the list. But the last building I went to, actually was uh in uniondale the 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 coliseum was just for whatever reason i'd I'd been everywhere else in my career and and i I covered i actually went basically straight from the olympics in sochi in 2014 to a leafs islanders game and that was the last building at that time that that i hadn't been in um and you know it's cool like it it, getting around the league i think is important because you start to understand the culture of different fan bases like what just even an appreciation that life is like, you know it intuitively that life is different if you play for the Kings or you play for the Canadians. But, like, to sort of experience the environment around the arena, like, I think you get kind of a deeper understanding of of how how vast and, you know, the experience is really night and day in some markets. You know, like, Philip Deneau, I guess, went the opposite way in, in that exchange. Like, he's, he's going to live a much different life in Manhattan Beach, um, you know, where people will know he is. Like, the Kings do have a, a good following there, but, like, I don't think anyone will much bother him too much. Um, you know, versus, you know, his life as a French Canadian, you know, player on the Montreal Canadiens. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's cool going to those places. It's cool seeing the sort of different takes on hockey, you know, Nashville, they got these chants, like it's almost like a college football game or something. Or a soccer Um, match, actually. I think about that too. Yeah. Like Nashville is one of the great fun places to go, but it's not necessarily intimidating, like for the other team say, like, it's just, it's almost just like fun for fun's sake. Um, you know, Chicago, when they're going like that building, just like shakes on the foundation. I love going to Madison square garden. Like it always feels like an event, even if you're there on a Tuesday in November and it's game 12, you know, like it's not necessarily, there's not stakes attached to the game, but you just feel like you're on this sort of majestic stage. Uh, the, the bell center for me, it's like going to the Vatican. If you're Catholic, like to me, yeah. like that's, that's <laughs> like, that's the, for me, that's like the church of hockey, um, you know, not to make this about religion, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I, there's, there's like something spiritual there, you know, Vegas is just bananas. Like you can't even think straight in there. The shark tank, like that place gets loud. I think, I think the shark tank might be the most intimidating building for opponents to play in, believe it or not, when the sharks are good. Like, I don't know if they still really? have that environment going right now. Cause obviously they're kind of, you know, they're, they're in a different spot, but like, I've heard that like the first 10 minutes playing there, I've heard multiple players say like, it's just, you feel like the fans are on top of you. You know, there's so much great that goes on in the league. And and so I'm excited for you to get around and get a different feeling for kind of all these spots and see these cities. I mean, you know, it's, it's, there's not many bad ones, put it that way. Over my years going on road trips, there wasn't too many days. I was like, oh crap, I got to go to this place. I mean, it, it <laughs> you know, even some of the, the, the places that maybe have a bad rap, in my opinion, aren't that bad. Like Detroit's got a whole lot of cool stuff going on right now. For example, like I know people talk some smack about Detroit, but like, it's got a really neat environment happening downtown. You know, the Red Wings, you know, Joe Lewis was a cool spot. I like the, the new rank of those little Caesars. So, you know, it's, I've, I've been lucky, man. I've, I've got to, to go to all these places on someone else's dime. So, you know, I'm, I'm stealing the money at this point. Okay. I have a question because you just made me think of something else uh, that I will share at some point. How old were you when you got to go to your first NHL game? Like regardless of media or anything, how old were you when you got to go to your first NHL game? 
I was like nine years old, eight or nine years old. My dad managed to score tickets to a Leafs Penguins game. Um, and I didn't, I think I went to three NHL games before I was a journalist. Like it was, What's it three? was as a kid, basically, um, before I was getting paid to go to the games. So, you know, that's part of what fueled the dream, man, for me. Cause like, I, it was a real treat to go when I went, like, I can remember the games. I can tell you who scored. I can tell you who was in net. And these games happened a long freaking time ago, man. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting older. Um, and, you know, and so that's what partially made it so special for me. And, and, you know, I got to cover my first game in May, 2002. It was a Leafs Senators playoff game, game five of their second round series. It was the game where uh, Daniel Alfredson hit Darcy Tucker from behind and then scored the winning goal right after. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because I since I once I once had a drink with Daniel Alfredson in Vegas during the NHL awards. You know, he knew I was with he didn't like he knew who I was, but like he knew someone I was with really, really well. And he saw us and came over and had a drink with us. And he was saying that was one of the best. Like that was one of the highlights of his career, that goal, just because the Leafs Senators rivalry back in that day, like it was legit, right? Those teams played four yeah. years in a row in the playoffs. They were two of the best teams in the league. Uh, I know neither of them went and won a Stanley Cup with those era players, but they were they were in the mix, to, you know, and, and so they had to go through each other. And, you know, just everything that went into that, Alfredson said that was one of like the highlights of his career. And and anyway, that was the first night I got to go as a reporter. I'm just in story time here, Julian, now. But um, that's fine. That's what, fine. What a career it's been, man. That. It's crazy. It's crazy. People love that. Also, I'll say, even as a Montrealer, watching from a distance, those Sens Leafs games, those are some of the most fun games to watch. Like, that that was just so cool, to, especially in the playoffs as well. Seeing those two teams go at it, like Sens and Leafs, that rivalry, I think it's criminally underrated considering some of the rivalries we've seen over the last few years in the National Hockey League. So, well, just yeah. neither team has yeah. been good at the same time since, right? Like that was yeah. the early 2000s. You know, once you got to the lockout 0405, I mean, the Sens were really good on the other side of that lockout, but the Leafs went in the wrong direction. And, and so... You know, I, I think just the way this division sets up, like at some point, they'll probably play again in the playoffs. And... That'll be something. It'll be cool, I, I think, because you know, obviously geographic rivalry spurs it. And, you know, there's it's easy to hate Toronto if you're in another part of the country. Like I get it. It's kind of like it's a thing. And so I look forward to to, to seeing that happen at some point in the future. I also want to see yeah. the Leafs have series with fans in it. Like that was that was on my bucket list. Like I, I have a short career bucket list at this point, but one of them was covering the Leafs Hab series. And obviously I got to do that last year, but it didn't feel mm-hmm totally real. And so I, I really hope we get that at some point with fans and everything that comes with it, like a, a more normal kind of playoff environment. Uh, CJ, the one other storyline I wanted to to get to, uh, you mentioned the Ottawa Senators uh, in your latest article in the Toronto Star with regards to them uh, basically getting out of the rebuild stage and hopefully ascending to a point where they can start competing for uh, the playoffs. We've mentioned Brady Kachuk on almost every episode that we've done. And I don't know how, but we managed to – we're not late on the news. It, it, there's some breaking news as we were recording. Uh, Brady Kachuk has signed, finally, with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I know you were able to, 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 to figure out some of that news, too. What are some of the details uh, that we know about Brady Kachuk right now? Well, with the genius of Jesse Blake, what our audience <laughs> won't know is that we actually taped a version of this chat in which oh, this contract yeah. wasn't signed. But yes, you know true. you're not going to hear that one. That's gonna that's gonna be like the pilot episode that doesn't exist yet. Like that's just gonna be like in in storage, um, because literally oh, we, we finished man. we finished recording for those out there. And then I looked at my phone. I was like, oh shit, Julian. He signed. Uh, he signed while we were recording a thing about him not signing. 
Um, he did. He did. You're absolutely right. He did. Oh, but that's man. great news. Look, it's great news for Brady. It's great news for Ottawa. I don't want to see any player go through a long extended break. I mean, like, look, it's going to be seven to 10 days probably before he's up to full speed and playing with the team. So that's certainly not going to be ready for their opener on Thursday night, but you know, for him to sign a seven year deal there, I think is an absolute home run for the senators. You know, he carries an $8.2 million cap hit, which might be a little bit rich for his production based on the comparables. But I think you have to sometimes allow for the individual circumstances of a contract negotiation more than just, you know, how many goals he scored and, and what other players that you know have similar contracts have scored. And, you know, let's look at the Senators team now. They have Thomas Shabbat signed for seven more years. He had an eight-year extension. They got Drake Batherson done on a six-year deal in the offseason. You know, all these players, since their rebuild started in 2017, that they started stockpiling with, with high picks. And Brady really was the first one. He was a fourth overall pick in 2018. It was kind of the first year where they bottomed out after going to the Eastern Conference Final. You know, are now signed long-term and committed to that organization. And so, you know... It's uh, I think it's a big win for Ottawa to get his name on a contract long term. It gives them a window of contention now. Right. You know, like they're saying the rebuild's over. Well, the good news is they got seven years of Brady Kachuk now that that's the window to, to build up and try to win. And, and, you know, look at, he might sign another contract beyond that. We don't know what the future holds, of course, but, you know, I think it starts to establish a time frame here where they should be a competitive team and be taking steps in a positive direction. And so, you know, this is this is a good day for the Ottawa Senators. It's a great day for Brady Kachuk and his family. And, you know, now we get to see. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical, if I'm being honest, that the rebuild's over. I, I think they should set absolutely set the expectation there. I think that's wise. They, you, know, you have to announce to your team, as Pierre Dorian did in September, like it's not acceptable to lose now. We're not in the game of trying to get a high draft pick. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a big hill for them to climb this year just because, you know, they have been kind of wandering around in the, in the desert for, for four seasons now. Um, what I want to know, actually not even what I want to know yet is, uh, okay. I have two thoughts here. So first, do you think the deal that's out there for, for Brady, do you think that's a little bit rich? Do you think that's just right? The type of player that he is like, is that like a good deal? And I have my other thoughts on, on the whole rebuild thing, but like I I'm looking at 8.214 million for the next seven years. I mean, Nick Suzuki just signed for a little less than that. I don't think it's fair to necessarily make those two comparables, but those two players did sign contracts this week. Essentially, is Brady Kachuk getting a little bit too much? Is it a little too less? Or is this just right? Well, let's keep in mind, he's taking some risks with a seven-year deal too, because you know we live in a cap flat cap world right now, but by 2025, give or take, you know, it wouldn't be inconceivable to see the cap jump by 10 million. Um, you know, once once essentially the money that the, the players owe the owners is, is paid back from the pandemic. You know, I, I think, you know, the, the overall league revenues will be at a point where we see a big jump in the salary cap. And so Brady Kachuk has sold some of those years. And, and you know, much like any player that's making a long-term decision right now, you don't know what that's going to look like. And so we might say today, yeah, he looks a little bit overpaid based on some of the other players in the market. You know, he's getting more than Svechnikov and he's getting more than, than uh, Nick Suzuki on their long-term deals in terms of the AAV and probably hasn't, you know, necessarily produced at a level that those players have, but you know, he's given up something here too. And so I think that's where the, the beauty of the negotiation was, you know, I heard that um, the Sens kind of were stuck on seven and a half million on a long-term deal. He was looking for eight and a half. They, they grinded as this week went along and obviously they got to 8.2 give or take. Um, so the, the senators did come up obviously on where their offer was. And, and, you know, that's how these things are supposed to work. You know, I did say all along as, as you know, Julian on our show that, that the start of the season would be a deadline, right? Like he's, 
he's missing actual checks uh, as of each day that passes once the regular season begins. And obviously he's going to be, he's still going to miss some games, but he starts missing games. He's missing things. He can't get back essentially. And for them, they're, they're missing him. You know, this is a big season in Ottawa and make no mistake about that. Even if I don't see them as a playoff team, you know, I think that this is a season for them to energize their marketplace, to, to try to be in that playoff hunt, to get their fans excited again, obviously to get the revenue flowing and, and get fans back in the building. And so, um, you know, the fact that they've, they've mitigated how long this absence will be is, is a good thing. Cause if, if it, go, if it got me on opening day with no contract, like honestly, it could have went to December oh, yeah. 1st. Like once you get beyond that kind of deadline, cause it is a real deadline. Like there's almost no reason for either side to cave between mid October and December 1st, when there's an actual signing deadline for him to play in the league this season. And so, you know, credit to everyone for, getting through that and not having this drag on any longer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Cause this is a team that I think even if they might not be ready to be a playoff team just yet, they're entering a division where they can look at two teams and say, Hey, we were able to get some pretty big wins off you last year. And we're not afraid of you going into this season. I'm talking about Montreal and Toronto specifically. I don't know how that attitude will carry over in games against Boston and Florida and Tampa Bay, but I know at least two of those teams, two teams we expect to either be in the playoffs or at least be in the conversation to try to get a wild card spot. The Ottawa Senators can at least go into those games and say, Hey, we are able to hang with these teams. And I think with the culture that they have going forward and the talent that they have, it will serve them well, not just for this, season but for years going forward but uh, having Brady Kachuk in the fold uh, will do wonders for for this team obviously uh, I, I I'm still a bit curious about the, the way the numbers will stack up but you explain you make a really good point that this contract could eventually not necessarily look like an overpay in the next few years but uh, Brady Kachuk I'll definitely say this he is an essential part of this Ottawa Senators team he helps them go and they really needed him in the lineup they did and you know what good news to start the season. Like I feel, I'm feeling the good vibes this week, Julian. Like this is, it's been a fun first week of games and you know, I'm, I'm excited to see the senators like create some buzz in their market. Like, like they, they earned praise last year, you know, like I, I don't think that, I don't think that we can overstate the fact that they opened some eyes in Canada, you know, where they played the North division last season in second half, you know, they only won two of their first 15 games. Like they, and, and they didn't fold a tent, like, like DJ Smith, to me was the perfect choice with, with the benefit of hindsight, looking what he's been able to get out of that team. I think they, they've punched above their weight class uh, in terms of their performance. And, you know, I, I do think that they're an exciting young team. I just don't know if they're ready to, to really get into the mix to the top three or four in the, in the division. But, you know, I do know they have a better chance with Brady Kachuk in the lineup than if he was, you know, still in Ann Arbor skating with the U S national program where he, he, he weathered the storm, so to speak. Well, well, during this long contract negotiation. Second week in a row, uh, the CJ show happens to be recording uh, when news breaks. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, if you get what I mean. Uh, but we were able to get on top of the uh, Brady Kachuk news, and that's pretty much everything we wanted to talk about on this week's edition. Now, who delivers the bad news to Adam Wilde that our podcast is above 30 minutes again? We stuck the landing again. Another perfect 30-minute episode. <laughs> we did it again. Yes. Uh, Adam did. It was uh, his idea to kind of put this podcast together, and he essentially wanted us to for us to be 30 minutes. And we, we, we wanted to do that. It's just there's just so much to talk about, you know, like, like seriously. Do you think eventually not, Adam is just going to stop our episode at 30 minutes and like not even just like that's as far as you go and like that's all you get? I, uh, here's my thing. If you were to do that on like an episode where you were like about to deliver some like really juicy like Toronto Maple Leafs information, Adam would not hear the end of it and there would be blood. Maybe not blood, but there would be hell to pay on his hand. So, you know what? I the Discord would be lit if that happened. 
oh man, the Discord would be all over Adam Wilde, who, you know, shout out, big love to the homie. You know, we're all making jokes, but uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're not any closer to these 30 minute episodes. Uh, we'll take care of some housekeeping before we officially start. We'll be better here. next week, bud. You know, you gotta, you gotta, we're I, just I taking hope. it one game at a time, one pot at a time. Monday, we're going to be hope. better. I feel it. I feel it. I, I hope, I hope we'll, we'll try our best to get closer. Um, housekeeping subscribe to the podcast uh wherever you get podcasts spotify google podcasts apple podcasts we're on amazon music now someone actually asked us uh this week if we were going to be on amazon and jesse blake uh the production king that he is found a way to make that happen so you have no excuses it's on just about every other podcast platform you can imagine you should be able to subscribe and download the chris johnston show and of course on youtube the sdpn youtube channel it's also a good place where you could watch our videos uh, clips of our shows from past episodes as well. Be sure to check that out. Check out Chris Johnston's work in the Toronto Star as well. Uh, I mentioned the article he has on the Ottawa Senators. Uh, go check that out over there. And uh, we'll be back on Monday uh, with more news to talk about. And you could already send questions to us either at CJ's Twitter, Reporter Chris, or at my Twitter handle, JKA McKenzie, or on Discord. Go to our uh, Discord, sdpn.ca. Uh, there's a big button for Discord. You can log in that way. I think, I think I covered everything, CJ. Unless there was anything else you want me to plug, or if there's any other thing that we need to mention here, I said a mouthful. I have to drink some water. Jeez. You did great. I think I think you, you covered all the the bases there. So yeah, thanks for your support. Honestly, we're we're loving the vibe we're getting from the audience, and uh, have a great weekend, brother. I hope everyone's safe out there. Enjoy the games, and we'll be back at you on Monday. See you all on Monday. For CJ, I'm Julian Singh. So long and peace. Peace, bro. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JKMcKenzie.